I feel like we could manufacture a nice opening with um, Jimmy reading from Lennon and a, like a reaction, like like a thirty seconds of him reading into like. Do you have and a, then, a passage? Do I have a passage of uh, or pop one Lennon pop one out? Okay, pop okay. a casual Let's passage out. Pop a casual passage. Passage. Okay, so we'll we'll go with this one, uh, and this is this is Lennon very much picking from Marx's preface to the contribution to the critique of political economy, but it's weirdly relevant, I think, when you really kind of think about it, what's going on like right now. So, the sum total of these relations of production constitutes the economic structure of society, the real foundation on which rises a legal and political superstructure and to which correspond definite forms of social consciousness. The mode of production in material life determines the social, political, and intellectual life processes in general. It is not the consciousness of men that determines their being, but on the contrary, their social being that determines their consciousness. At a certain stage of their development, Mm. the material forces of production in society come in conflict with the existing relations of production, or what is but a legal expression of of the same thing, with the property relations within which they have been at work before. From forms of development of the forces of production, these relations turn into their fetters. Then begins an epic of social revolution. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. The only podcast on the internet where we try to uncover the truth of the universe, one Wikipedia article at a time. I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Alex Virgil. Hey, thanks. Thanks. And uh, as always, I am joined by my boisterous brother, John Miklas. And today, you here? <laughs> today we got a very, uh, yes. we have a very special episode for you today. Surprise, motherfucker! It's a guest episode. It's a guest episode. Oh, and before we before we introduce our guest, we are produced um, by our NSA informant and uh, very uh, good friend Emmy Sack, who's Ooh. not on She's the on pod today. Field mission. Um, but enough of that. She's um, planning an assassination in. I think it's... You'll find out. The, is it? I think it's in Oceana. Oh, week. no. Um, what could they possibly, no, what could they posi- possibly be doing? She's she's going to murder the Prime Minister of Tuvalu. Oh, no. I thought, I thought it was Keith Urban. <laughs> yeah, or Keith Urban. After that performance? Um, no. Uh, today, we have a very, very special guest. Um, a, a An avid listener of the show, mm-hmm. but also a... Um, specialist in linguistics, um, barroom trivia, uh, anthropology, and middle school age children in a teaching capacity, not in anything weird. Uh, 
our friend, the very insightful, very interesting Jimmy Daverin. Hey. Welcome to the show, Jim Jam. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. You know, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> hey, so, all right. Uh, good, to be, good to be on in. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome to the simulator, Jimmy. Hope you, hope you like the digs. Don't touch anything. Yeah. It might be not what you think it you is. You break it, you buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Jimmy, it's it does feel overdue. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, it's uh, it's nice to know that, that now you guys can razz me uh, while while I speak, as opposed to just me listening to you and then, and texting you guys if I'm <laughs> wrong. Um, yeah, listeners, you, you've heard true. of Jimmy. So it's it must be nice to finally put a, a voice to the name, but um, Jimmy also live texts us his listening experience of our episodes, so we got a real good one on our hands today. Yeah, and it's a really good test of their own memory about what they talked about because sometimes I provide no context to my commentary. And yeah, they just gotta they just gotta figure out what it is I'm talking about. And this is already after like forty eight hours of listening to it. That is uh, yeah. absolutely the time of the week that I most often question if I have a drinking problem because <laughs> I get texts about stuff that I do not remember whatsoever. Nope. And I just kind of go with it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, no, it's uh, like like Verge said, it's long overdue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've definitely known pretty early on which episodes are fun and good and which uh, suck. Um, so, uh, we are excited because, uh, we loved our last guest episode. Unfortunately, the sound on that one wasn't the best. Yeah. I think we have resolved that. Um, and we're gonna, yeah, I mean, we're, we're really stoked on the format of the guests. Jimmy's provided us a theme, um, for our topics, which we will reveal in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess in the meantime... Um, do we, do we have any unfinished business, Verge? Is there anything well, that you'd like to talk about com- it, from last episode? I, we briefly mentioned it. it. It might not make it into the episode in the beginning, but, um, uh, we, our Olympic topic was, um, about the logos. It was. And Japan. Yeah, on our last guest episode. In their opening ceremony, busted out the single best three to five minutes of Olympic programming I've seen in my lifetime. It was it, it, it was really, fantastic and hectic and wonderful. It was it it was as good as like um like technic technical based live theater. You know mm-hmm. where like live theater meets like tradesmanship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was mm-hmm. like a magic show. Yeah. Yeah. It's like like yeah. a an artistic trade. But as good as that gets, like the very highest level. And, and in that vein, I, the single most Japanese thing they could have done. It was it was yeah. wholly unexpected. Yeah. From my perspective, yeah. I wasn't ready for that no. at all. No. And then it started happening, and it, you couldn't look away. Yeah. They just went for it. Truly uh, joyous. Man, if you, listener, if you have not seen it, um, I think you could probably find it searching like Olympics pictogram, uh, worth the watch. Highly recommend. High recommend for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I have even with the drop tennis racket. Even with the even with it the drop added tennis to racket. it. Even with the screw it up. Gave it was the human. Tiny bit of yeah, it was human that Japan otherwise would have lacked in that moment. <laughs> um I will say I haven't seen 
an Olympic mascot like of this games. Like they're 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 not leaning into that. I, there, maybe there maybe, is one, but they're definitely there is one. you know you'll see on the telecast. I feel like more like hey, Japan built this random robot that shoots half court shots. <laughs> yeah, you can right. take a look at this robot. Oh, also yeah. there's a robot for and there's just got a bunch of random robots. There's always a lot of robots. Things. In yeah, tracks. <laughs> that tracks. That was truly the best. It look, I haven't watched a lot of. I haven't watched these Olympics. It just doesn't have the same feeling that they tend to, you know, for many it's reasons. A little bit of magic, knows, you know. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah. But those okay. ten minutes, man, when they got Hiromi Uehara, who's my favorite pianist, amazing, and the Kabuki shit, and that, and that, uh, <laughs> and that very big, live, fun big band moment where they were turning on the lights in Tokyo, man, took me back. And they and they brought a corpse back to life. And they brought a corpse back to life. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. I don't that remember guy. that part. part I don't remember that. He's one of the really famous baseball players. Oh, and oh, he, the oh, manager. He was literally. So I had to look it up. He's old. Yeah, he was old. They, but he's had a stroke. He had a stroke yeah. that was from a heart attack. It was a heart attack oh that God. caused a stroke. I grew. I grew up with that man. And he was like the godfather of baseball, and seeing him there was like another, almost as bad as watching the Boston's. Put out a song in 2020. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of reminders of our <laughs> of our ever present mortality. Seriously, um, a little bit of a foreshadowing to my topic. That's for sure. Oh shit! Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like in terms of old business, uh, not a lot to to mention, and I think that's the point. Um, Haiti and Cuba out of the news. They're they're uh, no. no longer in the news. So no, they're fixed. That. They're fixed. They're fixed. Oh yeah, they're fixed. Everything's fixed. Oh, like Palestine was all good. A couple, couple weeks ago. Like, Palestine was fixed. fixed a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's out of the news. Yeah. What's the next thing? I feel like there's a new like um, oh, I guess the new crisis for the new neoliberal orders. Peru, which just elected a communist. Oh hell yeah. Um, like a like a full full bred full. That's where Emmy said. Emmy said. Um, Emmy said. Uh, I'm going to Tuvalu. She was going to Peru. She, yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Lima Tuvalu. I can't believe yes. you fell for Tuvalu, dude. She's used that on me for God years. Damn, yeah. <laughs> I know. Ugh. Ugh. Um. But yeah, no. Other than that, I think uh, not. Not a whole lot of else. What, unfinished. What are we t- talking about? I was time? gonna say your unfinished business was that uh, Eleanor Roosevelt is not the husband of FDR. Oh, you did I say mean, husband. It should be mentioned. Um, we should, you know, go back and, and a little bit that. of a yeah Freudian slip. Uh, she she was. Dude, you should drink less, dude. She was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my! I God. did have one. I, the only the problem with <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I was, well, gonna I was just gonna yeah. quote a line from Wedding Crashers. So yeah, change the subject. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna save you from that and change the subject. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I I am about halfway through. The Summer of Soul on Hulu. It is the Questlove nice. pro- produced slash directed um, documentary on the Harlem Culture Festival in 1969. Yeah. yeah. Very good. I just got through the part where Sly and the Family Stone played, and people were very apprehensive very in the beginning. Um, because they had white, white people and, and women yeah. and stuff, but then they had a festival attendee who was like, Watching a woman trumpet player up on that stage like changed my life and stuff. And I was like, old business, boom. Cool. 
So watch that on Hulu. Yeah, I got the, I got a hard recommend. Yeah. Um, hard recommend from my dad on that one. Yeah. Uh, so it's very good. Yeah, I'll definitely definitely check it out. Um, but I do think Virgil and I don't know what time it is, right? Uh, we don't know what time it is. We were asked if we could have a very special guest introduction subject. So Jimmy. That's me. Uh, my hands. I'm ready. Can we can we ask what time it is? What time is it, Jim? Uh, it is time for the surprise sidekick of the week. Oh, mm-hmm. we like that. I like that. Yeah. We love it. Solid. solid. Yeah, you've you've heard of surprise badasses. Sure. Uh, you've heard of badasses in general, but every once in a while you get uh, you get that nice, fantastic sidekick that I feel like. Really yeah. encapsulates so many things that you guys have talked about on the Hell podcast, yeah. and I wanted to just kind of come and and, and bring this to you and really, yeah. really serve it up on a platter. Let's hear and, it. Um, Let's hear it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It, it's, we're long overdue having you on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I just I feel like I feel like you know go, going into this this guy is something that connects a lot of the things you talk about where you talk about you know being a sidekick to somebody else's story where they're really mm-hmm. the ones who are going through the struggles mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and how can you be that support mm-hmm. person um to what everything everybody else is kind of going through how can you yet sort of still you know stand up for what it is that you're standing up for mm-hmm. yeah um, and so today we're gonna be talking about peter norman pete okay peter norman <laughs> Do you guys know who peter norman <laughs> no, is no i have no idea uh, no idea. Right. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, let's start with the question. Do you guys know who Tommy Smith and John Carlos are? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I do know who Peter Norman is then, mm-hmm. and I'm stoked to hear about this. I'm going to let you introduce, but I am, I'm familiar with this story. Yeah. All right. They're not. Yes. Tommy Smith and John Carlos are most famous for the Black Power Fist Salute at the 1968 Oh, Olympics. fuck yes. So this is perfect. We are, yes. 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 So we're talking, you know, the Olympics are going on right now. And yes. Olympics, they're one of the things that make me, they do. They make me choke up sometimes. Uh, Agreed. And this Agreed. is, me too. it's one of those moments um, that is just so iconic in picture form. Yet there's a lot going on with the picture itself that you might not necessarily know. Yo. And one of the integral parts of this is, of course, Australian yeah. sprinter yeah. Peter Norman. Dude, Peter um, Jimmy, I almost shot off a white fist back at you earlier today yeah. via text <laughs> as, as Peter so, Norman. Hell yeah. So Peter Norman, all right. Uh, Peter George Norman, okay, if I just come to Wikipedia here, was an Australian track athlete. He won the silver medal in the 200 meters at the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City with a time of 20.06 seconds, which remains an Oceanian record. Hell yeah. Wow. Very yes. interesting. Yeah. Very impressive. Um, so he's, so again, you know, you think about it, he's incredibly fast. And there he is, and he's in the second spot in the podium. And if you look at the picture, you see Tommy Smith with his right fist raised, and you see John Carlos with his yes. left fist raised. And then, of course, you just kind of see this Australian guy over there. And, yeah. and if you don't know the story, you might just say, man, maybe this guy feels awkward. Maybe this guy yeah. is just yeah. like, uh, I don't even know what's going on behind me. Right. Uh, no. The answer is very much no. Um, the most sort of fun piece of information to really kind of get in the head of who Peter Norman was is the fact that when he died, Tommy Smith and John Carlos were both pallbearers at his feet. <sighs> Whoa. I didn't know that factoid. That's awesome. Goosebumps. So. Yeah. 
he, if we just take a look at this, all right, um, what happened is Carlos and Smith had told Norman what they were planning to do during the ceremony. As journalist Martin Flanagan wrote, they asked Norman if he believed in human rights. He said he did. They asked him if he believed in God. Norman, who came from a Salvation Army background, said he believed strongly in God. We knew that what we were going to do was far greater than any athletic feat. He said, I'll stand with you. Carlos said he expected to see fear in Norman's eyes. He didn't. Quote, I hmm. saw love. On the way to the medal ceremony, Norman saw the OP, so Olympic Project for Human Rights badge being worn by Paul Hoffman, a white member of the U.S. rowing team, and asked him if he could wear it. It was Norman who suggested that Smith and Carlos share the black gloves used in their salute because Carlos left his pair at the Olympic Village. That, this is the reason for Smith raising his right fist while, while Carlos raised his left. I love that fact. So the fact is that he says, I'm going to hear, I'm going to help you guys out with this. Um, I have this great idea, right? If you're a sidekick, you can sometimes be that. These are the guys who are the heroes, right? Tommy Smith and John Carlos know the risks mm -hmm. that they have with yeah. the Olympic community. They get they come back, they get stripped of their medals, yep. right? Yep. They get in very, very big... Very big trouble, yeah. Trouble, right? Yeah. But it's, it's, the, it's, it's, the tr it's the good trouble that everybody is actually looking for. Mm -hmm. They have this plan. They're actually going for this. And Peter Norman's basically just was like, oh, I can help. Like that, mm -hmm. he's not taking any time for this. He says, oh, like, I can help. And so... Um, basically, Norm's career did suffer. Mm -hmm. There's sort of this, you know, controversy is the Australian Olympic Committee still says that he wasn't selected for the 1972 Olympics because he didn't meet the standard. Mm -hmm. But like in the three years before that, he had a bunch of qualifying times. It was just like, you know, like that year in the championships, he like got third. But so he is, you know, the absolute like record Hold yeah, on. he and sounds like the injured. best sprinter in Australian history. He, yeah, he is the best sprinter in Australian what? history. That's crazy. And they were like, mm, let's not send him to the 1972 games, and that was something that, like, then you know, he, he suffered a lot from this too. Mm -hmm. He ended up um, basically, you know, becoming depressed, becoming addicted to alcohol and painkillers, um, but then again was able to battle through that. Um, to where he became started becoming a, you know a trainer and sports administrator again, um, ended up dying at at sixty four. Um, oh, wow! But yeah, so he 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 suffered for it, and yet at yeah. the same exact time, he always there was no kind of walking back of any of this at yeah. all. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I do think to a certain extent th that picture and that moment is like almost incapable of happening without his both implicit and explicit support. Like mm -hmm. if he was a different guy and like caused a stink, he might've like kind of scared those guys out of doing something. Mm -hmm. What if he like decided not to go on the podium with them? Like it's a completely different situation. Right. Cause then that's international relations. That's its own issue. It's its own issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. The, the ability like, he really is in the like solidarity hall of fame. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, no, he, I don't unsung know. as fuck. Like, yeah, like the yeah, way, yeah. and he has to have recognized how the photo portrays him specifically to anyone who doesn't. Well, and that's right. 
and that's the thing, right? So mm-hmm. uh, another goes back into the recognition section of Wikipedia here, mm-hmm. where you literally see on 17 October 2003, San Jose State University unveiled a statue commemorating the 1968 Olympic protest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Norman was not included as part mm-hmm. of the statue itself, as he insisted that his place mm-hmm. be left unoccupied so that others viewing the statue Fuck could take a stand yeah, against racism. Pete! Wow. However, he was invited to deliver <laughs> Oh, himself. man. That's so cool. Yeah, man. So this is in, yeah. And that's, right, this comes from part of his background is, is it's like he was in like the Salvation Army. And so he's, yeah. he's leaning back on his, on his Christianity to say like, oh, because I am a Christian, I stand for the rights of black people in America. Boom. I stand for all of these things. And absolutely, I'm going to just be a part of fighting against injustice. Yeah. Wow. That's, I love it. That's a good lesson on um, we could have a little bit more of that from the Christian community, and we could also have a little bit more of that understanding from the external perspective of large swaths of the Christian community. I think so. it's a lesson I think it's a lesson in too in like um I know I personally feel kind of a certain funky position like with my life and like my life's work towards, I don't know, progressive goals or social justice or any of these things. Mm. And it's like, okay, yes, you, you as a person should be trying to be proactive, mm-hmm. but you also like, I don't know, oftentimes as like a white person in the societies that we live in, more importantly, just need to be like ready to, to seize the moment if Mm -hmm. given the opportunity and like oftentimes a lot of this won't ever have that opportunity to kind of seize that moment but you need to always be ready for it you know just don't be ashamed of your privilege just use it yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) absolutely there was a video that went viral uh and like semi-viral on twitter maybe last week and it was this white guy in a tank top um at venice beach yelling at a cop and being like oh yeah, yeah, yeah i don't know what the fuck you're doing here get the fuck out of here um you know you, you, you don't you're not trying to keep anybody safe get the fuck out of here and like like alpha'd him the cop back into his car and the cop car left and this there was some twitter threads that were like if a black person talked to the cops like this they would get shot and then it came out that this guy was literally defending a group of unhoused people in an encampment at in Venice and was utilizing doing the exact thing like we can't we can't eliminate privilege. Mm-hmm. We would love to, but like that's just like the fact of the matter is you cannot eliminate privilege out of society. And so using it is the exact same is the exact thing that he should be doing. Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't be like some sort of discussion about like, oh, well, I can't believe he would act that way since a black person or a Latino person couldn't act that way. It's like, no, he's doing using it the exact way that he's supposed to use it to defend and be in solidarity with people mm-hmm. uh, you know, like the human race. Yeah. It's just this happens it, right it happens in education all the time where it's just like, oh, we gotta treat all these kids. It's like no no like these students are different. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, yeah. there's there's smart kids and i got some there's always going to be some very dumb kids yeah 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 but it's but it's a team environment mm-hmm. right so it's not it's you know it's right in the 50s or whatever it's just like oh cool let's give all the attention to these smart kids and then the dumb right. kids will just shuffle them off it's like no like hey those smart kids 
teach them that they have a responsibility yeah to like right. help these dumb kids out yeah yeah and everybody's a team and then we can all actually like move forward towards some common goals together it's would be a lot better it'd be a lot Absolutely. better man <laughs> be a lot better and yeah, it's so much easier that. said than done which is such a bummer it's so much easier said than it's that. such a bummer Isn't it everything? is it is isn't everything Anyway, that's uh, that's Peter Norman. Right? Hey, I love Man, it. I love bring it. that back in. Great okay. surprise. I think he's a badass. Too. I think he's a sidekick, but he is a badass. He's that. He's that. Um, um Judas, the way I like thinking of Judas now, mm-hmm, guy, mm-hmm. where it's the total yeah. unsung guy, and he knows mm-hmm. how he's portrayed in the mainstream for people who are who don't know the history, but he did yeah. the thing. He did the thing. He did the thing. He did the thing. Somebody's gonna do the thing. Somebody the has people to do that the will thing. What's more important, recognize. getting credit for the thing? No, no, no. The thing. Or the thing. Uh, Jimmy, you gave us a theme. Yes. Um, would you like to introduce that theme? I would love we get to introduce the theme. So what I chose was things that make you well up with emotion. <laughs> emotion, you know, kind of undefined. Yeah. Because, uh, again, mm. related to the fact that uh, I'm a blubbering baby during the Olympics. Mm. A lot Hell of the yeah. time, you know, I'm watching the, the, the women's 100-meter breaststroke, mm-hmm. right? And it's, oh, South African versus, uh, you know, Lily. I forget her last name right now because she's, like, the top in the world. Lily King. Lily King. King. Yeah. Lily King, which is going to mm. happen. And then suddenly, here's Lydia Jacoby, 17-year-old <laughs> from Alaska, just turns it on. She's never swam this fast in her entire life. Like, not even... <laughs> close in the last year and then she just wins the goal i'm just i'm just they've got they've got one olympic swimming pool in alaska one (laughs) yeah talk about somebody who doesn't have to you know buy drinks anymore her parents are set in seward alaska oh yeah oh my god never again yeah it's awesome everything is paid for is there a statue up yet what's going on What's taking so long (laughs) oh man i don't think they can make one that quickly (laughs) they probably have one of those uh those guys with the the ice you know, chisels. Chainsaw. I, yeah, um, yeah. The, they have an ice sculpture. So yeah, there's an ice sculpture for there's sure. Yeah. Ice sculpture. Yeah. Otherwise, just um, chainsawed wood. Um, so yeah, things that make you well up. Well up with, with emotion. emotion. I love that. It's very, it's very open ended. It's very. I think HF- it's gonna I know. We're gonna crack open these hard. Nuts. I know. I know. I took it. I I I used the theme prompt to go very liberally towards something uh, that. <laughs> I think we'll we'll be good. I, Verge, who is going first today? Do you? I don't remember who went last time. What are we talking about last time? I already asked. Uh, This this is one of those. This is one of those things that can be looked up, guys. This is. uh, Yeah. uh, What did I talk about last time? See, this is it. My memory's going. What did we talk about? (laughs) It was a Uh, long one too. And it was Eleanor Roosevelt. I talked about Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, you went first. I went first. Would you like to go first? I could go first. Mine's pretty light on the wiki reading. I took it broadly, but very squarely in the theme. Oh. So. Okay. But is your stuff about more kind of like, like granular, so to speak, like specific things? Mine's a very broad. Mine is. Yeah, mine's very broad, too. Okay, I can just go first. I wonder if we chose the same thing. You go first. (laughs) Okay. Um, All right. So I have three pages open right now. Okay. And the three pages are hope, belief, and faith. Okay. Wow. Great. That's where I went. We d- we so, went very similar approaches and mm-hmm. very but not the same topic. So this is perfect. Okay. 
Um, Let's hear. For I think for a long time I was very uh, misanthropic. Uh, bitter is probably the word. Um, some professionals might call it depressed. Things like that. Um, there were just I was lacking a lot of the the, the things that that make you well up with emotion like those those kinds of it's triggers. Big old me. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. things. Scrooge. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't like just sitting in my room. Blah, 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 blah. Like I enjoyed things, but the 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 welling up with emotion was was lacking in my life. Um, I've made a turn for the better in that sense. And one thing I've been stuck on is the is the idea of something to look toward needing something to look toward to live or to to really oh. get to that place of living so to speak and i was wondering i i'm always wondering if that if that can be defined as hope belief or faith because i am not a religious person never grew up very religious buddhist at most but more from a cultural traditional standpoint Mm-hmm. Belief is a is a word I've always uh, away from. Faith yeah. was something that just never even computed for me because I I, I uh, connected it too much to capital R religion. And yeah. hope seems a little too in in not, not instantaneous. What's the word? Just kind of like moment to moment, and not really like oh a yeah. Fluttering ephemeral? in the wind. Yeah, ephemeral. yeah, ephemeral, but like not without with the lacking lacking the po- poeticism of that word, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, or like mer- mercurial, maybe. Mercurial would be closer, I guess, unless people mm. see poetry in that word the way I don't. Fleeting. Fleeting. Yeah, Fleeting. That's Thank what, you. Fleeting. I Nailed like that. it. There's the word. So. So when I made this turn, and suddenly I found myself full of these emotions more regularly and moved by things moved i was moved more regularly i wondered what it was and tried to not so much stick a word for it but see how other people were describing this and yeah and i was watching ted lasso (laughs) because i just (laughs) i just recommended it to uh your sister and brother-in-law john and i think they watched it this week um but that's a show that really makes you well up with emotion. They they Definitely. really nail the the little moments that as a human being make you well up with emotion. And the last episode of that season uses the words hope and belief very regularly. And mm-hmm. it's and the episode is called The Hope That Kills You or it's The Hope That Kills You or something along those lines. So their yeah. whole thing was that hope is the thing that that kills you, which is the theme of Bane and Dark Knight Rises, where it's like having hope that someone else is going to save you or something will come along externally is the thing that will ultimately lead you to the bad kind of inaction. Waiting for Superman, so to speak. So, so okay, Bat- so that's Batman. ultimately Batman. like... <laughs> oh, waiting for Batman, yeah. I guess that's a Michael Moore documentary that I named. Um, <laughs> so I was like just kind of looking to see what the differences are. And, and I still, so where I land right now is I yeah. have faith. Yep. If Agreed. someone were to ask me in what, I don't know. Yeah. I have faith. 
Can but, I wait? Because so, I'm. Can I wait? Can I? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I've gone real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I stand by, and I grew up in a relatively religious home. I mean, actually, fairly religious. Grew up in the Episcopal Church. My entire family is now very much kind of like drifted away from from religion. I don't. My dad is maybe the only person that attends a church service more than five times a year and mm. I the rest of the family lucky if we go once, you right. know. And I wouldn't I would really wouldn't classify myself as a Christian. Mm-hmm. But I have one of my personal like kind of like standard um I'm trying to stay away from the word, but I, I can't one of my standard beliefs mm-hmm. in like life mm-hmm. and, and like what it means to be alive, what I think is the most essential thing to have to be a good person and to to get the most out of your life is faith mm-hmm. that i've 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 always kind of held on to that it doesn't really matter what it is faith in right but it strikes me that faith as an emotion is about as like um kind of strongly navigating an, a, a thing as you can have in your life. Mm-hmm. And you That's, see it, right, in so many different people. The, like you said, what did people have faith in? So a wide range mm-hmm. Huge, of different yeah. things. Yeah. But if you're, I mean, again, like, I'm sad that your 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 Taoism episode disappeared. <laughs> right. But what is, yeah. what is the way except... A faith in essentially faith. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Right, you don't right. have faith in anything except the fact that you have faith. You're just like, ah, no, like here we are. You're like, well, where are you? And that, well, we're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That recursiveness like, is very. Anyone who's read any Taoist thing should recognize. Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy's recursive. You recognize that that's it's, it's what it is. But at the same time, like if you are, <laughs> if you're a Jew in the Holocaust, yeah, you're definitely gonna have a faith. Mm-hmm. And and what you have faith in is going to be very different depending on your experience. Right. And so many different right. people came out of that, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, like Night versus Man's Search for Meaning are very different books. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's the same overall experience. Uh, and then yeah, anybody who's ever been under colonial rule, essentially, right? Yeah. They have a, a level of faith. Yeah. Right. How do those How do those faiths work? And yeah, hope. Hope in that case, hope is definitely going to kill you. If you're just like, oh, I'm just hoping right. that the allies are going to come, or oh, I'm just hoping that the king of Belgium had turns a new leaf. Yeah. Like right. king of Belgium never put don't put any faith in that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you think about um, think about the like the concept of the underdog. Right. Is it like a great a great like conceptualization and something that every like I it's almost impossible not to be kind of attracted to. Uh, obviously in sports, but in anything. And the underdog has faith. They don't have hope. They have faith. Mm. And the faith is Mm. that, like, I have faith in the fact that I'm still here, Mm -hmm. that I exist. You know, like, and I think that that's, it just is, I am. (laughs) Absolutely. Can you guys, by the way, take a look just for a second at the Wikipedia entry? Because this is something that I looked at today, you know, while I was, Thinking about what you guys might be talking about. Um, can you just look at the Wikipedia entry for Underdog? <laughs> okay. And it is shocking 
how short it is based on yeah. the fact that to me this is like it's like a concept it could be hard to explain for people who like english is not a first language and it's oh interesting it's super short it's super short and it's from like a totally like literary perspective mm-hmm. yeah Oh, yeah, that actually, I do find it interesting that the that it that the text is so literary based when the term itself is explicitly a sports term, right? It's a gambling term. Mm, the underdog yeah, is the is the the like, opposite the, of the top dog. It was, and it yeah. says it says that right in the beginning, and then it immediately moves on, and then you're just like, but it it gives examples, but it doesn't give a lot of examples. Huh. Mm-hmm. It literally is just like, ah, here's one example, the Miracle on Ice. Now you've got the picture for sports. Yeah. There's not like a list of like underdog upsets or like, you know, links to it just really. That's so interesting. I wonder, I'm looking at the. Uh... So I click Cinderella Sports. This article is huge. The talk page for underdog, quite long. I, I feel like we may be unfinished business next week, but. Uh, there's probably some gems of people being like, "What? This article sucks. Why are we doing this?" Yeah, probably. Cinderella, parentheses sports <laughs> is really long. Yeah, well, the, but this is great. I have no idea how some of the totally inaccurate and off-base information gets posted on Wikipedia, <laughs> or how and why it is then accepted as fact. But the listed origin of the word "underdog" as a guy who gets covered in sawdust to explain why the word <laughs> is used as a description, not expect to win a contest. Is a good case in point example. What? Awesome. One of those. Every That's, once in a while, you come across a page that was just like written by some high school kid. The, on uh, yeah, like the every five episode um, reminder to all of our listeners out there: the real action on Wikipedia is in the talk page. <laughs> the talk page. Always go to the talk page. Always go to the talk page. Um, Ivridge. Well, we both got you a little off track so no it's okay um because again you know all of these pages are pretty long but uh the faith one of because of those three words that's the one that i cling to the most which is hilariously not Taoist, um or buddhist uh what i clinging what i yeah clinging clinging, but i cling to it yeah i can't cling um so there were just a couple interesting moments so the first paragraph now remember that i'm coming to this page specifically to compare it with the word belief um faith derived from latin fides and old french feed is confidence or trust in a person thing or concept in the context of religion one can define faith as belief in a god or in the doctrines of or teachings of religion religious people often think of faith faith as confidence based on a perceived degree of warrant while others who are more skeptical of religion tend to think of faith as simply belief without evidence. So they're playing, they're doing the playing all sides of this thing here. Well, okay. Th- yeah. Okay, good. This is interesting. Uh, and I, I want to bring up just a point to talk on that because it, it will also be, be a part of my uh, yeah. topic too, because I ended up um, kind of where I started for my topic, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about once you're done, um, was going to the emotions Wikipedia portal, Mm, right? mm. I found it very interesting. And one of the things that is so interesting about that is the, the attempt to define 
something that is almost by its nature indefinable. Yeah. yeah. But we have to have words for these things. So they sh- they do implicitly have to have an exact meaning or else mm-hmm. what is the point of a word? But we know, like, I think that there is something... There's something clearly different between a belief and faith, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're different things. And so it, we, you do find yourself when you're talking about emotions and specifically how they come up in like an encyclopedia or in Wikipedia is like the convergence of that, I'll use the word again, ephemeral spirit of humanity, mm-hmm. science, and language. Mm-hmm. And they're all kind of at play, right? All three, and they're so different. But I would definitely suggest listeners, if you like being on Wikipedia, go to the emotions portal and read about an emotion that you know very well. Like, go read about happiness on mm. Wikipedia and how people try to attempt to define these things. Very, very interesting. That is interesting. Which is, I, f- I feel like what we're doing here with faith. Because you, yeah. Has, and the, the... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. It. Well, no, I, I was just going to say that. <laughs> Jimmy, you're Jimmy, up. You, you do that on purpose. You please. You do that on purpose. <laughs> um, I was just going to say that that obviously the fact of the matter is languages don't exist. Mm-hmm. Each of us has one experience of life that we all have that, that we've tried to utilize the words that we know and we've learned from other people and mm-hmm. understanding the experience of those in the past who came up with these words in the first place. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is like you can't honestly 100% give somebody an exact representation of what's going on in your body and your heart you can give right, people right. a really good approximation using words the language as it's defined of what's mm-hmm. going on in your brain you can talk about here are the reasons i can lay out a case you know you can even get training in that type of thing to you know write better essays go to law school these types of things can really work for your mind but when it comes to those different feelings that you're feeling where you might be feeling three very different emotions all at once Mm -hmm. are you feeling three different emotions or are you feeling one emotion that's this big combo Mm -hmm. so complicated yeah you know if you're if you're if you're looking at purple are you looking at red and blue right or are you looking at purple um and honestly that's like a there's a i think there's a good reason why emotions and colors are so often um characterized together Mm -hmm. do you guys feel Mm -hmm. that way like like Anger is seen red, and mm-hmm. um, you know, are uh, you're green with envy. You're like got the blues. Yeah, you got the blues. Like there is something we do, tr- and maybe it is a human kind of, um, you know, our our infall our our fallibility or our humanness makes us attempt to try and explain through something that we aren't really capable of understanding Yeah, ourselves. man, that's my thing with, like, science in general, and, like, more specifically... Very, the very, coronavirus Very vaccine. specifically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... I believe you mean Bill Gates' tracking mechanism? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the needle they stick in your arm is, like, a little thick to just be liquid, man. I think they're sticking some robots in there. No, okay. It's your but thing my thing, science, my thing yeah. with science and specifically Western psychology is this attempt to categorize from such a left brain. Wait, 
yeah, left brain way of like really, you know, nailing a word for every single thing. Our our language and our culture is so idiomatic because our language and our culture does not nail it the way like Germans do with their words. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like Germans have have S- been around long preview. enough. Oh, hell yeah. Germans have been around long enough to like really nail words for specific feelings. And English yeah, slap it all English and America especially as a combo, we can't do that. You know? And like it all no. goes all the way to like God. It's like if someone were to say like do you believe in God? Like short answer yes, long answer no. You know? Like right. the like the language. Yeah. And so that's why I think western western psychology is like that's why we're prescribing people 50 million things for what's possibly just right. one all-encompassing situation because we're trying too hard to specify these things that are abstract and amorphous and constantly dynamic, you know? Yeah. It's constantly dynamic and it's so individual. Yeah, anyway, exactly. So it's just like, you have to, yeah. And, and there is a bit of, I think that, you know, not to get too off track from this, cause I think it's great, but like in America, there's a bit of that Puritan work ethic mm-hmm. that like complicates that, the Puritan work ethic concept, which we can't run away from in America, like very much goes up against, uh, I would call it like mindfulness. Mm. Um, because you can't, you can't think about things when you're fucking working hard and like never stopping. And that's like very much built into our cultural, like, you know, register is like, okay, well, we're not going to think about this. Because thinking about it sometimes makes us sad or, you know, or makes us scared. Mm-hmm. We're just going to do. We're just going to be efficient. And and there's like, a, and that, you, look, we're not the only culture on earth that is, <laughs> um, that has that. Two of the most, I think, thoughtful, emotional cultures also have the, like, too efficient for their own good in Japan and Germany. Yeah. But, um it's still, I think, is a, a uniquely American quirk, like that that kind of like... Yeah. Well, and then, right, you have people fretting about their mindfulness. Mm-hmm. But I would argue, I would argue, mm. if we're going we're gonna to wrap it back into to a, yeah. a, a Taoist perspective on it, Hell there yeah. would be nothing wrong with the Puritan work ethic if you're just like, oh, is this what's happening? I'm just, yeah, I'll go, I'm going to work really hard and I'm not going to like... Yeah. Sure. I'm not going to worry about it either way. I'm not going to be attached to the fact that I'm working that hard and like I'm grinding, grinding, grinding. Because, yeah. well, I guess this is my role right now. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah, it's it's like matched with like decadent capitalism. And that's a weird mix where it's like we work until we die, but we also like are obsessed with the idea of being so rich that you don't have to work anymore you know like there's this like weird combination and it's it's almost like utopian thinking right where it's like okay well my life sucks right now and i feel lonely and alienated and worked too hard but in the future i'm gonna be a billionaire and i'm gonna fucking fuck all the women and eat all the caviar or likely more likely fried shrimp or something (laughs) more palatable and um and so it's like this weird it's like a little like messed up cocktail yeah dude i think you just kind of nailed like contemporary like american depression (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah well you just gotta keep the faith man you know you just gotta keep the keep the faith yeah 
now just i mean how are you doing with that virgil i oh with the faith stuff yeah man i mean i i am having a great time this year just keeping the faith and and things things are moving you know um hell yeah just like just like wanting the things i want but not to the point where i'm like beating myself up about not having it yeah right it's the it's the it's the it's like this the the word use of the word desire in buddhism as the root of all suffering it's not desire right it's uh it's the clinging it's attachment it's the attachment attachment it's not desire yeah that's why they say it's not it's not money that's the root of all evil no it is the love of money exactly right love of money so so i've been having a fun time just kind of like mentally balancing that in my head of like yeah like i want i would love for things that i'm not currently doing to happen in my life or be a part of things and right now i happen to be in a place where that is exactly where what i'm doing so the the having faith thing is really working out for me so far yeah you nice. know and it's the moment oh, yeah. i get too comfortable and i and and the thing is i i've always known in my life when i get a little too comfortable the moment i get comfortable and I used to say back in college, in high school, like, I'm never more satisfied with myself than when I'm slightly dissatisfied, which I think is mm. means I've, I've, I've reworked what that means in my head as, like, like, the moment I get comfortable, it's when things begin to fall apart. So it is always good to have the thing to look forward to next, some amount of something to not hope for, but have, have faith in, in more, more of a kind. You know, not opulence, cool. but just kind of like the next thing. And and it just, you know, in its own way comes. I would say this, too, about faith is that I think we we kind of touched on something where we said, I don't really know what faith you're having faith in. Right. And and I don't necessarily think that means that you need to, like, decide to have faith in, like, kayaking you know or like faith in allah like i mean kayaking is pretty fun yeah kayaking is cool i mean could have worse things the definition on that wikipedia page is interesting right faith can mean in a religious sense the belief in god Mm -hmm. and this is the thing about god right is that it is a tricky kind of slippery term in its own right yeah and so and so if you start to expand what you conceptualize to be the concept of god and then you can start to believe in like Mm -hmm. this is god and and i i found like a broken record i know i've said this on the show before but like (laughs) the ability to contemplate something formulate the words and tell the two of you it is the proof of like God in action in my mm. personal belief system. Like mm. I have, and I, I used to always say like, I have faith in humanity and that seems like almost ridiculous after like the last year that we've had, <laughs> but it, but it's still like, it, it has more to do with our existence at mm-hmm. large than it does in like the, you know, um, my faith that the will of the people is good and just or, or whatever, which I still do because I'm a, you know, hopeless romantic, but like part of it is faith to me is the, 
the realization that we are all connected somehow in some way that we cannot understand. Mm-hmm. Faith is is the belief that it's more. We are more than just like carbon mm-hmm. on a rock in a black void. You know, like th- that it's more to that and that I won't ever understand. I'm incapable. I'm an ant on a log, totally incapable of understanding that. But I believe in it. You know, mm-hmm. I have faith. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's like, uh, to me, like the, the core of my belief system. I feel like for a concept that's like impossible to nail down linguistically in words, you did a pretty good job of describing your version of it. So, yeah. Thanks. I enjoyed it. It was <laughs> deep. Yeah. You yeah. know, the word for God in Japan is the same as they've been using before Christianity really, you know, existed in the country. And What is it? It's kami. Mm-hmm. Kami. Yeah. And uh, it was just the same word used in Shinto for, like, the essence that is in all things. They yeah. just use the same word. So, you know, for me, I can get behind that, you know? Absolutely. Like, in spirits, man. I mean, that's why I said I, I said maybe another topic, right? Folk religion. It was in there. Yeah. yeah that's some I, fun I stuff. Actually, I actually did find, a, a, like, a, a topic thread. So the next... Next guest episode, you'll hell yeah. We'll cut this part out so that we can uh, so <laughs> yeah. give the listeners something. Yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, yeah. The last I, I thing I want to cool say. Stuff. Yeah. The last yeah. little bit is just like a fun wiki thing that I found, which is um, so right after etym- etym- etymology is just like one sentence, goes back to just like the hard, you know, comes from these words, you know, whatever. But then the next section is stages of faith development is just the name of the sex stages Mm. of faith development. And it says James W. Fowler born 1940 died 2015 proposes a series of stages of faith development across the human lifespan. His stages relate closely to the words of Piaget, um, which I, I I think I pronounced that right. Erickson and Colbert regarding aspects of psychological development in children and adults. Fowler defines faith as an activity of trusting, committing, and relating to the world based on a set of assumptions of how one is related to others in the world. I'm going to screen share this because they kind of just like Wikipedia outline what faith is. Just like what faith is and and, uh, the entirety of the human experience, individual human experience through life in six bullet points on Wikipedia. (laughs) Wow. So for listeners, just to walk you through it, Stage one is intuitive projective, a stage of confusion, highly high impression ability through stories and rituals, preschool. The next is mythic literal school going. This is where you kind of like learn about the shit your peers are thinking about and start to kind of like organize those thoughts. Synthetic conventional, which is early to late adolescence, where you begin to develop a system um, through which your belief and faith are kind of. Uh, expressed individuative reflective early adulthood where you begin to critically analyze the things that you grew up in the systems of faith conjunctive faith where people realize the limits of logic and facing the paradoxes or transcendence of life accept the mystery of life and often return to the sacred stories and symbols of the pre-acquired or readopted faith system midlife Mm. And then finally, universalizing faith, 
This is the enlightenment stage where the individual comes out of all the existing systems of faith and lives life with universal principles of compassion and love and in service to others for upliftment without worries and doubts. Now it says middle-aged adulthood, 45, 65 years old and plus. What's interesting is I think that's what it was in the 20th century, largely in the Western world. Hmm. But the age brackets, I think weirdly defend the this might be the end we are actually nearing the end of history Mm. uh, argument because to me i think people are reaching the universalizing faith faster than ever before because of just a sheer amount of experiences we are bombarded with in our earlier lives and just the amount of like shared experiences we're able to share and so reading this and looking at these age brackets and, and, and kind of talking with so many people in my life now, I'm like, okay, maybe this is an argument for, like, we are actually reaching a certain kind of, you know. Well, so I think the Internet, right, has like a, has like a, a, a like a aggressive factor on this. I. But I also would would argue that most adults exist either in synthetic conventional stage, mm. which is like they right, have you a belief. You get in three and you you get stuck. In you're three. stuck That's in three. Adam if Curtis you are shit. dogmatic, if you are dogmatic in your beliefs, I think you are stuck in three. Which I'll reread uh, for the listener is faith acquired is concreted in the belief system with the foregoing of personification and replacement with authority. And individuals are groups that represent one's beliefs. I mean, if that's not an expression of the American evangelical community, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what is, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're in six. Like, I feel like we're, like, Mm. diverging into, like, a three. I I have a hard time believing anyone. And and I, I would assume, you know, I think it makes sense that this could have been the way before. I have a hard time believing anyone goes through those these stages anymore. Like three, mm. four, five, six. I don't really buy that. That's a that's happening very often. Mm. Where you like get dogmatic about your beliefs and you start to adjust, and then you finally end up in a place where you're just like happy to see the. the well, good I feel like people. I see I see people as well who go into. They they definitely they they do their they do their one two three four mm-hmm. they get in their four of disillusion but instead of moving on to five as they move back to three yeah it's just that instead a of different set of beliefs. having a system of beliefs they have a of, of a system of anti that to me is the uh, replacing yeah. with authority what I consider the rub mm-hmm. of the twenty seven club that's the sure. trajectory that kind of leads to not not just hard and fast twenty seven club but like great thinkers in the u.s that off themselves kind of thing you know as i think that's what happens is like they they get to four and they like border on five but then can't face those paradoxes fall back into like the bitterness of the three i think this is utopian thinking Mm. this this these stages i don't actually it doesn't strike me that any society in the history of earth has ever really that that is a perfect life the stages of faith as mm-hmm. they define them one through six mm-hmm. to end in six like in that time period like 
the amount of suffering and bad that happens is because we get so stuck in that three, four, five range. And like disillusionment is not a good emotion to be stuck in and neither is dogmatic adherence to a belief system. Like yeah. they're equally bad in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by that yeah, from yeah. an anthropology standpoint. I do not subscribe to it. Ooh, we got oh, some Jim Jam. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that you know Lenin would probably say that Marx would say that <laughs> a development that seemingly repeats the stages already passed, but repeats them otherwise on a higher basis, a development so to speak in spirals, not in a straight line. The developments by leaps, catastrophes, revolution, breaks in continuity. These mm. are uh, these are the things that uh, are true dialectical material yo the teachings of Karl marx (laughs) yo i i i'm into that i'm gonna sound so much so i'm gonna sound like a marxist i'm just saying i'm just reading the book well you are so it's applicable to all employers jimmy daverin is a marxist careful (laughs) no man i'm i work at a catholic school uh, which means i believe in jesus which he's even more revolutionary than marx the good kids (laughs) the the bad kids sit in the back uh, if be. you want to read the yeah, if you want to read the direct quotes from Jesus from the Bible, who's you know, Ooh. only book I ever needed. He's got some fire. He's got some fire oh, for yeah. capitalism. He, he's uh, he's ready. He is ready. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm I'm intrigued by the the faith, and that's a great. I mean, it's that was a very good call out, Jimmy. That uh, that line was very uh, very relevant. For yeah. Sure. It is weird to I think about. There. I had to look for it. <laughs> it is weird to think about us in, in this stage in humanity, where we are like kind of stuck in the mud of this like neoliberal world order that intends to break the concept of dialectical materialism. Yeah. Like they they like there are people who intend, probably for good intentions. I at least I'll give them the benefit of the doubt to like break the chain of mm-hmm. like of of those stages and things changing and and be like this is it this is the end of history mm-hmm. and that sucks can you, can you imagine being like a moor and like living in spain and being like this is it guys like we figured Yo, it out okay <laughs> everything is great i that's and then, like what I 50 think years later you're like oh god i made a mistake oh no this is bad <laughs> i sold yeah. all my stock thinking it was the end <laughs> yeah in spain yeah. in 1600 um <laughs> the spiral thing I get I get behind. I've learned to love the spiral. And I think in the same way that um Doctor Strange Love or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb is is meant like mm. the spiral's real, man. From in, at every level. You can look at it as oscillations if you're a two-dimensional situation, if you're a three-dimensional situation, mm-hmm. it's a moving spiral. Just like um, the entirety of our physical relationship to uh, the universe, you know, we're just on a rock that's spiraling around another rock that's spiraling, that's spiraling through space around a, but here's my thing about the spiral from a human trajectory is the oscillations are getting faster. Yeah. We are circling a specific, we are circling the drain in the sense that we are getting closer to that abyss. And uh, that's only two bodies, man. Yo, okay. 
Oh yeah, I'm I'm behind. You guys have the three body problem. I I have. It's okay. Yet, From but, a metaphorical yeah. perspective, it's it'll it's actually it's pretty easy to explain. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, with two two bodies, they just they just do this. But you have three, it messes up the gravity, and they can do kind of crazy things and like mm. really just go for it. Interesting. Hopefully, the visual helped you. But yeah, that's 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 it. So like you would think. Two, you're like, oh, it's spiral. It's getting closer, closer. But like, if a third one came in, like, it would like all everybody would like shoot. Everybody out gets crazy. crazy. I hate you so much right now because now, now I have to, I have to think about this for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's my subject. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I loved it. So, I too went to the emotions portal. Hell yeah! Went and broad. The thing. I went broad, and the thing that caught my eye, the thing that I want to talk about that we already kind of mentioned, but I want to go into some more detail with some specifics and also just kind of like talk about like the functionality of it all, is words for emotions that exist either untranslatable into English or very, very specifically tied into the personality of a society as a whole hell yeah okay Um, so um and i will say so i want to start with a word that we have and we're fairly familiar with which is nostalgia Mm. right um so nostalgia is an emotion Mm -hmm. uh is a feeling that i think uh you know we all are not immune to i think it's one of the more complicated emotions Mm -hmm. um in that it's it's got a lot of a lot of like happiness right but it's also extremely sad it's one of those where it is two different emotions at the same time it's it's a purple emotion Mm -hmm. right it's like um and it is so fascinating because it is um specifically was the word was invented in the 17th century specifically to talk about Swiss mercenaries oh, who I'm sorry what <laughs> yeah who were fighting the Napoleonic wars and found themselves in the plains and like lowlands of Italy and France on a n- number of different war campaigns and they found that these men who were like hardened athletic you know, young men, battle-ready men were fucking flipping out because they missed, like, the mountains and their homeland so much. Uh, I'm going to be honest, man. I completely understand <laughs> exactly what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, no, I mean, and it's so interesting. I mean, you think about, think about this, like, set yourself there, right? You're in the 17th century. Yeah. You are a a young Swiss boy who lives in the most like picturesque place you can ever imagine. It's paradise. Not many people. Everybody's nice. You know, you eat the melted cheese. Um, and then you go off to war in this fucking dingy ass swamp mm-hmm. and everybody's mean. They smell bad. You smell bad too, but like Man. everybody else smells bad too. But, and, and you go, they go crazy. Um, 
it, it is. You can't blow off steam. You're like, can can we throw some snowballs? And you're like, there, there no are no snowballs. snowballs. There. There's no, no snow. snowballs. Here's some <laughs> mosquitoes. Yeah. Um, you can make a manure ball. Yeah. It, so uh, nostalgia is um, the word itself was, um, if I can find it, it was coined by um, Johann Hother, uh, who was a, a doctor from Basel, Switzerland. And uh, it is a Greek, like, compound word with nostos, which means homecoming, and algos, which means pain. Mm. And it was specifically about Swiss mercenaries. It is obviously not, like, they're not the only group of people on Earth who um, would, you know, be sensitive to this. Right, right, right. But... Um, they definitely were the first, uh, and it was a medical condition until, um, roughly like the civil war, uh, nostalgia was like something that was diagnosed among soldiers. Um, and it was being recognized in both, uh, the first, so by the 1870s, interest in nostalgia as a medical category had almost completely vanished. But it, nostalgia was still being recognized in both the First and Second World Wars, <laughs> especially by the American Armed Forces. Dude, imagine getting prescribed morphine for being nostalgic. Yeah. I feel and, like maybe it's the opposite of hysteria. Maybe the doctor just, like, wanks you off. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> imagine I'm a girl from your hometown. Um, Thanks, Doc. And... You yeah. just made it worse. <laughs> great, great lengths were taken to study and understand the condition to stem the tide of troops leaving the front in droves. And then it actually has in parentheses, see the BBC documentary Century of the Self, mm. which, unfinished business, boom, boom. our boy Adam Curtis. Our boy! Um, is one of the Adam Curtis documentaries I have not seen, and I definitely plan to now, because uh, I think it's super fascinating. Take a guess at the broad um, strokes at it of it yeah yeah i think we probably could yeah, <laughs> guess it um so so from nostalgia because i wouldn't quite classify nostalgia in the topic that i want to talk about which is like it, it, words for emotions that we have no translation in english and in certain ways we can't actually feel mm. as english speakers um so I want to jump right into what I think is like the most well-known version of this, the most like globally prominent concept like this, which is the concept of saudade or saudade. I've heard. Are you guys I've familiar? Heard it. Jimmy, do you know it? No, good old saudade. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> All right. If it well, means confusion, I was <laughs> word saudade. Yeah, I was. I was curious because I don't. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. This is a Portuguese word. Um, Fadal. Oh, no, so it sounds like... Fadal. It is a deep emotional state of nostalgic or profound melancholic longing for something or someone that one cares for and or loves. Moreover, it, is, it often carries a uh, repressed knowledge that the object of longing might never be had again. It is a recollection of feelings, experiences... Places or events that once brought excitement, pleasure, and well-being, which now trigger the senses and make one experience the pain of separation from those joyous sensations. 
um, which I, I mean, I'm like, I'm like in love with this word and this concept mm-hmm. because a, I don't think I, I, and I don't think that only the Portuguese are the Brazilians who are that you know the two cultures that obviously use this word like constantly mm-hmm. um, are capable of feeling it, but I know that I personally don't think that I've ever felt it. Interesting. Um, and the historical context is just so kind of like clear and obvious that I think it, it's so cool and interesting because the Portuguese obviously historically are a seafaring people. Mm-hmm. Like they, they lived on this, you know, relatively tiny sliver of coastal land in Europe. And the men were, you know, by a large portion sailors and and so there's a couple of things at play here one right is something that virgin and i have talked on the show all the time about which is like dead empires <laughs> um because portugal is very obviously a dead empire yeah. this is a a country that had places you know territory that it owned colonially all over the world <laughs> but it's even deeper than that on a personal level because think about the emotional state of women and children a a mother and her child in lisbon and her husband is on a ship headed to the east indies right there is some understanding that like okay i'm gonna miss this man but there's also another understanding that like okay i'm probably never gonna see this man again like the portuguese in particular were a people whose ships sailed forever all around the world it wasn't like okay this is the passage we're going back and forth like say england to the like the 13 colonies Mm -hmm. portugal these sailors were 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 going on years-long journeys and likely were saying goodbye to their you know their loved ones for the last time every single time they went um and the thing that i love the most about this concept is that it somehow became ingrained in the, these people culturally to the point that this is still like an extremely important aspect of Portuguese culture. Mm. Like this is something that every single Portuguese person would recognize, know very well what it's about, be able to explain to you, someone that's never heard of the word, like what it means and what it means for their culture. Mm-hmm. It's the intersection. It's like, this is a tradition, but it's a tradition of an emotion. Yeah. Like how unique it's so cool. It's so unique, I think. I I have I have two things that I can connect it to. Jimmy, do, do you yeah. have thoughts? I mean, I'm just kind of looking at the the article here and I just have a a fun laugh at Wikipedia, <laughs> so it's not necessarily relevant. I would like you okay, to go okay. first. Okay, okay. Yeah, you go first. I have my fun yeah. little laugh. I'm looking at the the use over time for the word. And you'll notice a bump right before the 50s and then past the 50s it's really like used more and and probably the way that you're describing it's 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 a doctrination into the culture right that's right around the same time pedagogy of the oppressed came out right around the same time brazil is starting to really get into their conscientization phase where like the music is coming back to like traditional rhythms and like this kind of stuff. So, so I can see the, uh, 
the breaking out of the Portuguese colonialist mentality back into an actual cultural identity, bringing some amount of that confusion, which I grew up with in Japan through uh, Miyazaki films being the best avenue into that, which is the nostalgia between rapidly globalizing you know metropolitan tokyo mentality and the very shinto naturalist we're closed for 200 years we don't really like progression of any tech like in any technological way is not our you know it's more about living and that and that break really that uh divide mentally was kind of the national consciousness of japan it was that nostalgia you get these classic films like Tokyo Story. You get all these like modernist ideas yeah. of like people in cities like Tokyo yeah. feeling sad and nostalgic for a time when you knew your neighbor kind of thing. And so I think that Saudada is very specifically felt globally in post-colonial kind of like trying to develop their own national identity places. I think that's right. Yeah, Jimmy, I, I want to hear what the, <laughs> the what funny the, thing the is. Wikipedia yeah is. So the funny thing is simply this. In the related word section, it says "saudade" is a word in Portuguese and Galician that claims no direct translation in English. <laughs> now, obviously, in the talk page, people are like, "I don't know. I speak Portuguese, and it's basically just longing." And people are like, "Culturally, it's so much more." Yeah, yeah. that's not the funny part. <laughs> the funny part is that this line is not brought up on the talk page, and it says, <clears throat> however, a close translation in English would be desiderium. <laughs> oh, yeah. Desiderium yeah. is defined as an ardent desire or longing, especially a feeling of loss or grief for something lost. Desiderium comes from the word desiderare, meaning to long for. That classic English word that we all use. You know that we use it all the time. We're super super familiar with it. Yeah, I we've been using desiderium this entire time, and like, oh, obviously, saudade is just the same. How come we haven't brought this up? (laughs) It's the new Seattle Mariners motto, dude. So okay, so you guys both bring up actually hilariously both bring up points that kind of pushes us towards keeping going in this this topic, which is that that there is essentially. And I don't know why it's specifically sadness, but there is a desire on a cultural level in a lot of different places around the world to kind of define their own communal or group sadness Mm -hmm. and and contemplate on it in a very specific, like either ethnic or societal way. Yeah. Uh, Japan has done this like in multiple different ways, right? Yeah, yeah. Like this was the I would thesis say, of my senior year social studies class. <laughs> yeah, I mean similarly, like you look at any Japanese art in the nineteen fifties r- reconciling with the concept of nuclear disaster mm-hmm. and like you see it too. Like Rashomon, Godzilla, like those are all like trying to identify a very unique Japanese version of suffering, mm-hmm. right? And they're actually, so I found one of the related words that has its own Wikipedia article that people associate with Saudade is Mono no Aware, which is, Mm. I don't know, is that something you're, are you familiar with that? Yeah. Uh, Which is um, 
the pathos of things, mm-hmm. but it's also translated as an empathy towards things or a sensitivity to ephemera. Uh, it's yeah. a, a term for the awareness of impermanence or the transience of things mm-hmm. um, or a gentle sadness at their passing, as well as a longer, deeper, gentle sadness about this state being the reality of life. Yeah. Which is, a, you know, kind of like a sing. And, and this, this is something that popped up in the, um, in the Edo period, right? Which was kind of like the the period where contact was made, right? Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I could imagine. Virgil, Virgil, you were there. Yeah, yeah. I was there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I could totally see how that feeling could permeate through Japanese culture, where they're like, "Okay, yes, this is exciting, and we know this is the reality. These fucking mm-hmm. white devils are here to stay," mm-hmm. but. I do feel a little bit sad about what it was like before. Yeah. Right. Like that, that, that this period, like our life as we know it, the Moors in the 16th century, you know, like our life as we know it is no more. And that's okay because life changes. Right. There, nothing gold can stay, but at the same time, it sucks. That's like you can't help but feel a little sad. You got to remember that this is a culture, this is an island chain of people who, for whom, the first sentence of the first great novel. The first sentence, opening sentence. The sounds of the Gion Shoja temple bells echo the impermanence of all things. Is the first <laughs> line of the first great novel of the country. So, yeah, they're going to yeah. feel that way about things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, that thinking about first lines of novels, yeah. Anna Karenina, mm. right? Tolstoy says, all happy families are alike. But what is it? All each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. It's the same for I guess culture. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. All, That's a great all point. cultures they're going to experience their happiness in the same way. But every single culture apparently is has its own unhappiness in its own way. Okay, yeah. And on that point, I want to I want to bring up two more, yeah. um, and then I have one final thing. But uh, the next one is. Um, he, man, this is a really hard word to pronounce, <laughs> but. Hiraeth, H-I-R-A-E-T-H, Hiraeth, Hiraeth, something like that. Hiraeth. And it is, it is, uh, it's a Welsh word that has no direct English translation, but it likens it to a homesickness tinged with grief and sadness over the lost or departed, especially in the context of Wales and Welsh culture. Hmm. So here's another group of people who... I think if you start to understand their history, you could understand why they're just like deeply sad because mm-hmm. they're they're different than the English mm-hmm. or than the yeah they're different than the English mm-hmm. and yet slowly but surely the industrial revolution modernization means that their life their culture is like fading away and there's this like deep dissatisfaction with that it's lost it's lost to time and and look it you can't. You cannot quantify all human suffering, and you can't stop human suffering, I guess. Mm-hmm. You can quantify it. You, you can't stop it in any way that it happens. Like, life moves on. Like, there is an impermanence, but it's still sad. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, is an interesting one. And then the other one that I find so fascinating, actually, because I think it might be the opposite of Saudade, um, is... Sensukt, S E N S E H N S U C H T. Okay. Um, 
And that is a German noun translated as longing, desire, yearning, or craving. And some psychologists use the word to represent thoughts and feelings about all facets of life that are unfinished or imperfect, ah. paired with a yearning for an ideal alternative experience. Which I think says a lot about the German people. <laughs> um, because the thing that is tied in with this, the kind of the most important thing, is this this yearning for a utopian existence mm -hmm. but the knowledge that you cannot accomplish it that it's that is that you can't do it right and so i think that there's German so fuck there's so many times <laughs> right when the germans have like tried to do something i mean a lot of bad stuff, <laughs> yeah. but have have done something thinking like okay we're going to change the world we're going to to shape it or form it in the way that we want to see it. Mm -hmm. Again, I have a plan. All bad. In words, Mostly so bad. Then we will try your plan. <laughs> Trust it. Also it will plan. be better. Uh, and, <laughs> and so it is like, I feel like Saudade has a very clear, like, backwards looking mm -hmm. sadness. And Sensukt is this, like, this sadness about the future, that it can't be as good as you want it to be. Mm. And, I mean, that does make... I get why that would make you sad, too. And I just find it so interesting that there are all of these different ways to be sad for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Especially on a cultural level, you know? I think it's very interesting that colonial powers in general, or, or just cultures that have been on the... Uh, Imperial, winning side of things calm, right? imperial yeah yeah um side of things uh are, are are always looking forward and uh it's funny that americans are caught up in like the stop living in the past mentality and yet the ones that feel the bittersweetness about their pasts are the ones that have had their pasts ripped out of them right yeah that's a good point i mean i i almost brought it up but you're touching on it right that um Portuguese saudade, mm -hmm. uh, there's a style of music in Portugal. It's actually mm -hmm. very, very beautiful and worth listening to. It's called Fado, mm -hmm. F-A-D-O. And it's like um, kind of got like an Iberian guitar mm -hmm. and usually like a female singer. It's just like a guitar and a singer. Mm -hmm. um, is often compared to the blues. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I do think that the the kind of the nugget or like the core of the spirit of the blues has some kind of spiritual similarities yeah. to Saudade. And, and that the blues are so interesting in that they, they are, they come out of like the reconstruction era. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's almost more complicated from an American historical perspective, because there's just this like, I don't know that the Portuguese are dealing with the same, like, let down, like, the same hope extinguished. Right. That the African-American community, like, is speaking towards when they, t when they sing the blues, you know? I mean, the circumstances of them becoming an imperial power is already very specifically different from most other European powers. True. true. Yeah, it, it has to do with, like, um... Like, Spain kind of letting them be a thing kind of thing you know like true the little brotheriness of it like they were allowed to become a power 
Well, and they and their their power is defined on like a on their ability to like seafare, like their navigational yeah. skills, right? Like it's like not about it's not about their like wealth or their right or their power, so, right? So it's it makes about... sense to me why Brazil was among the first in the twentieth century to like reach their own integration post-colonialism you know what i mean mm. and i think mm-hmm. the reason it's so hard in the u.s to contemplate that is because we're very much in it when right. we talk about other countries it's easy to see it in hindsight right. but i mean we're at the crux i mean we've been at the crux for 50 years oh there will there will almost certainly be an american style of sadness mm-hmm that is like specifically defined and specifically like our own thing. Mm-hmm. I think I actually find it interesting that there aren't more words like this that deal with a specific community in America. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe there is, I, if you're listening out there that. and you've got one Please. for us, let us know. I love this, these kind of words. I did want to, I want to end my, my time or my, um, my topic i found this thing i'm giving a media wreck out here it's on youtube it's called the dictionary of obscure sorrows and it's this guy uh i think he's got like 28 videos but he's also got a blog it's got like 200 entries where he makes up words Mm. and just like yes yes have you seen this yes. are you know i have i yeah yeah oh, it's sweet it's, it's been a while it's been years it's been years yeah no i mean the ones that i came across like their the videos are like from the like 2015 they're like six yeah. six years old um i want to read one of my favorites and actually this is the one that has the most popular video on his page so um so and i will let's go Sorry. Okay. So, sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R, is a noun, and it is the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and as complex as your own, Mm. populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness, an epic story that continues invisibly around you, like an anthill spiraling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed, in which you might appear only once as an extra sipping coffee in the background, as a blur of traffic passing on the highway, as a lighted window at dusk. I love that. I love that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. No, this is the one. It's it's the one that people talked about. It's the one that, that it it made it into things. Yeah, like, yeah. People were like, I think this is a word. Yeah, then, that's the thing is that there it's, are it's there specific. are a few where you're like, that's got to be a word, and yeah. this is one of them where it's like, that's got to be a word. That's right? like psychologically healthy FOMO, because yeah, it's like exactly. FOMO FOMO from the realization that other people are real. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Which we we exactly. oftentimes it's, it's, forget on the internet. It's AOMO. It's the acknowledgement. Yeah. You're not, you're not ah, I like that. I like that. AOMO. You're just there. Yeah. Hey, I'll throw in, I'll, I, I will say this on its own media rec level. Yeah. The NPR Invisibilia podcast episode about uh, a man finds an explosive emotion locked in a word 
is apparently what it's called. Um, it's about an anthropologist and this emotion called Ligut. Wow. Recommend it. Okay. okay. I love it. Recommend it 100%. It's it's the emotion that basically these these headhunters used to describe. And he's like, what is this Ligut? I, I get all these other words. I can translate the rest of them. And they're like, oh, it's the feeling you get when you want to take a head. Because they're headhunters. They're headhunters. Oh. Headhunters. So it's like, and, and they tried to describe it. He couldn't really get it. And, and he basically didn't understand it until his, you know, like, wife, like, falls off a cliff and dies. And oh. it's this, they always describe it as high voltage. But for me personally, it's one of those ones I feel like I have felt that it's that, it's that testosterone surge where you're not, it's just... It's not rage, you know. Yeah. It's not it's just, anger. It's not energy. It's this combination of just like, <sighs> yeah, bursting. It's that. Yeah. So I recommend it. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good one. I love that. Uh, it's it's yeah, locked and loaded. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, so that's that's the end of our of our of our show. Jimmy, thank you for the the theme. That was uh, knocked a, it out of the park. A wonderful, a wonderful prompt. I hope we did it justice. Um, I just, I, th- I think it was great. I loved hearing from you guys. Yeah, you had thoughts and f- feelings. Right? Yeah, so yeah. We, we both defined God, and um, <laughs> we did, and did some other stuff too. So uh, no, it was good. I think this was a good ep. Um, if you're out there listening, thank you so much. If you text us or email us live streaming uh, every single episode, yeah. uh, you too could be a guest on the show if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime... And then I can live text about, that. about you who live texted. There so. you go. We'll exactly. have Jimmy yeah. on after every guest episode recapping the previous guest. To recap guest. it, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can be the after the... Yeah, like, after you know, the... Live. Yeah, yeah, after the throne, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Um we're Hegelian uh, Friendship Simulator. You know us. You can find us on <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. Although Twitter, I don't think we've updated since April. So in, look for, look out for us on Instagram. Email yeah. us at HegelianFriendshipSimulator at gmail.com. Thank you again Thank to you. Jimmy. Yeah, A wonderful Jimmy. guest. Won't be, uh, it is a first, but won't be the last. Won't be the last. And, and please let us know what you guys think of these guest episodes. We sure have a lot of fun doing them. Yeah. Um, but please we, be nice. Yeah, 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 be nice. Yeah, yeah. Hey, always be nice. Yeah, always be nice. Yeah. If you have something bad to say, me. again, like I go back to the first five of us. Yeah. Don't fucking write us. Shove it up don't, your fucking I ass. I not. I'm going to delete the email. So, yeah. but all right. Love you guys love so you. much. Keep Adios. the faith. Adios. <laughs>